Hi, hello, and welcome to Beyond Strategy, an ACG National Capital Region podcast focused on the leaders that drive innovation, enhance understanding, and achieve market-clearing outcomes in and around the D.C. area. I am Andy McEnroe of Raymond James's Defense and Government Investment Banking Team. And I am Jen Wappas of the Infinity Group at RBC Wealth Management. After a two-month hiatus, we are excited to dive back into conversations with some of the most impactful executives, dealmakers, and leaders in the national capital region. And Jen, what better way to start than to sit down with one of the difference-making private equity firms of 2023 in Bluestone Investment Partners. And today we've got John Allen and Eric Wolking. Bluestone is a middle market private equity firm focused on investing in well-positioned products Product and services companies in the defense and government market. The firm takes a collaborative approach to working with its management teams by combining the insights, experience, and operational expertise resident within its investments with the resources and relationships that Bluestone's partners bring to bear. John Allen is a co-founder and managing partner of Bluestone Investment Partners. John has spent more than two decades in private equity and investment banking focused on the middle market, aerospace, defense, and government sector. He has been involved in more than 150 mergers and acquisition transactions with a wide range of companies, including some of the biggest names in the market, such as CACI International, General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin, Mantec, Raytheon, SAIC, the Carlyle Group, and Veritas Capital, just to name a few. Eric Walking is a partner at Bluestone and brings more than 20 years of experience in the government technology and services industry. Most recently, Eric served as the CEO of Gap Solutions from its acquisition in 2013 until its eventual sale in 2017 to Systems One Holdings. Prior to Gap, Eric worked at Stanley Associates and CGI for over 13 years as a senior executive in various positions, helping the company to grow from $18 million in annual revenue to over $800 million in annual revenue. I really enjoyed talking to John and Eric today. What really stood out to me was that they were really big on that M&A works and their relationships, but they just kept, especially John, just kept coming back to M&A works, M&A works, M&A works. You know that, right? I do know that. And now let's hear from John Allen and Eric Wolking of Bluestone Investment Partners. We are thrilled to be joined today on Beyond Strategy by John Allen, managing partner and Eric Wolking, partner at Bluestone Investment Partners. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Before we dive into the creation and execution of Bluestone, I'd like for our audience to learn a little bit about what drives each of you. Many folks in our audience probably know you, but what I'm focused on are what are the core values and goals that you set out to achieve for yourselves as leaders and how do they apply to Bluestone? Thinking about this answer uh, ahead of time a little bit and kind of what drives me, and I would say it's probably a lot of our team is it's really people. You know, we are in a relationship business like you are in a relationship business. We are in a great industry that is filled with spectacular people, tremendous leadership. You know, we have fund investors uh, that drive us. Uh, we have long-standing relationships in this industry, and that's probably been a huge differentiator for us, a big key to any success we've experienced and I've experienced personally, both 
at the office and in my personal life. It's all about relationships. So we wake up every day trying to do the right thing for the people that have uh, helped us have achieve success, for the people that were um, placed their confidence in us with by investing in our funds. And um, that's really what drives us. If you do the right thing by your relationships, we believe that it's going to lead to business success. And we have lots of examples, certainly I do throughout my career, where, you know, I've invested in a relationship and they've invested in those individuals invested in me and it's led to a lot of mutual success. So it's really about the people and relationships that drives me. Well, certainly we're going to want to pull that back and talk about your career here in just a moment, John. But, you know, Eric, if you were to define your goals, kind of your underlying core values, what would they be? So certainly as it relates to what we do here when I originally came to D.C., it was because I wanted to go into politics and I wanted to work in government. I realized that wasn't the right path. But once it came to the opportunity to work with these businesses and with executives and with you know so many folks that have come out of the military and to work around so many mission-driven people, that really motivated me. And so certainly from a, a goal perspective, you know, in addition to what John was talking about in terms of the people that we have the good fortune to work with, the fact that we get to support these businesses that are working on some of the most important missions from a national security, from a civilian services perspective, whatever the case may be, that certainly drives and motivates me. That's outstanding. Let's dig into both of your backgrounds. Like I said at the opening, I think a lot of folks know you in the industry, but you've both worn a lot of different hats over the last two plus decades. And John, you've been focused on the government contracting market for nearly 30 years. What drew you to this sector? Well, well, kind of like Eric, I came to Washington uh, because I was interested in policy, wanted to do something political. My guy lost his election, and so I had to get a real job, which was the best thing that ever happened to me, that my guy lost, and maybe I got out of that political cycle. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get introduced to a, a firm called Quarterdeck Investment Partners, which was probably one of the first firms in the industry, in the defense government technology industry, focused on middle market mergers and acquisitions. It was a perfect place for me because really the industry, it's kind of the intersection of policy and business, right? Absolutely. So I, I certainly was able to kind of kind of keep that as an avocation and in, in my interest in the political world and the policy world, but but parlayed into some into the business side of things. Um, then I just fell in love with the sector, right? It, it's filled with, we, you know, wonderful people, the mission focus of the industry is probably a driver why there's so many great people in it because most of those most of the leaders in the sector were driven by the mission first um, many as we many entrepreneurs as you know um, were, were the mission at one point in time right you know CEOs and founders of companies I always say were kind of many were, were accidental entrepreneurs or later in life entrepreneurs they spent the first 15 or 20 years of their career uh, in the military in the civilian agency, you know, being a civilian agency employee, and then you know, retired from that and came out and continued to serve the mission. And next thing you know, they build this company around them. So I, I think the industry is special because of that mission focus. Uh, and I just think that, you know, that's that's what is, has, has excited me about it is is that continuation, you know, that focus on the mission. You mentioned, John, kind of your, your entree into the industry as an investment banker, obviously went mm-hmm. on to have a prolific investment banking career with a, a number of starts, combinations, if you will, with larger banks along the way. But what has been the biggest adjustment in going from an advisor or an investment banker to now being an owner and an investor in this community? You really use a lot of the same skills. So it, it wasn't as big of a leap 
as I might have felt it was going to be at some point in time in my career when I thought I wanted to make that transition from from advisor to investor. Those years as an investment banker focused on the defense and government technology industry were just completely, those skills were completely uh transitional into the investing side of things. And so uh, I I think other than the fact that you're now taking money (laughs) and other people's money uh, and putting it into those businesses, that's probably the biggest leap. So your risk proposition is different. Um, You're putting capital at risk in addition, which you don't do as an advisor. You're putting your time, your energy, uh, and your advice at risk and your reputation at risk. But now we're putting capital at risk. And with that comes... A, a different burden, if you will, um, than you know, just being on the advisory side of things. So a little bit higher, higher, higher level of stress maybe attached to it, but the skill sets are completely transferable, and it was like you know a natural transition. So Eric, while John came from the transaction-oriented world with investment banking background, yours was one um, as an operator. So what was the driver for you in making that leap from an executive to investor? Great, thanks for the question. So. You know, for me, I've had the good fortune of working with just wonderful people in my career. And when I when I first joined the the sector, I went to work for a, a great company, and I got to learn kind of at the elbow of some just some wonderful executives. And now, one of the things is I is I kind of went through my career and had a chance to work for just some fantastic people along the way. One of the things I really realized that was transformative to me with those relationships that I built with executives over the years. And so one of the things that's been especially rewarding in this capacity is the opportunity to work with so many executive teams and especially to work with entrepreneur founders who somewhere along the line took a risk and took a very significant risk. And maybe they they took out a mortgage on their house to finance their business or they they borrowed against their retirement assets or, you know, they, they took a bet on themselves somewhere along the way. And to, to work with so many people like that. And, you know, one of the things I've, I've really realized since I joined Bluestone, too, is, is that there's not only one way to do things well. And, and uh, certainly with the executive teams and the portfolio companies that we've invested in, I've gotten to experience that. And so that's probably what I would point to has, has been the biggest driver was the the opportunity to work with more executive teams, more companies. Now, there's certainly some things that I feel that are foundational to any business, but in government contracting, I continue to be amazed at, at the, you know, the entrepreneurial vision that some of these folks have and how they've built their company. So it's, it's just, it's invigorating to be around to work with some of these entrepreneurs. So then what skills do you feel like as an operator were most transferable to you when you came in as a role of an investor? Without a doubt, business development. So, and, and, you know, Andy was getting to this point a little bit too with, with relationships, everything has to do with relationship management. And that is every bit as true as an operator in a government contracting firm, whether you're managing relationships with your colleagues and your coworkers or with the executives that you're working for or with your clients. And that's the same, that, that same capability is is especially important in private equity where we've got a multitude of different stakeholders and and we've got to make sure that we're we're working well and we're we're delivering on our commitments and uh you know continuing to to uh uh you know just achieve forward progress on some of those relationships so we've set the baseline for what drives each of you individually as well as provided our listeners with some background on your career but I'd like to talk now about the evolution of Bluestone from formation to now. 
what is your thesis in the market, and how do you differentiate in a fairly crowded private equity field? Well, I think the thesis came out of many years as being an investment banker, and and probably the the highest volume, the most frequent phone call I received was from you know smaller companies that weren't ready but wanted to participate in M and A some way, but weren't ready. They either wanted to be a seller. But we know for obvious reasons, some companies aren't positioned and ready for a sale um, or certainly at, at a, not positioned to achieve the objectives they have in a sale. Or they wanted to be a buyer, but they didn't have the resources, the capability, the expertise in-house to do that. And so after years and years and years of getting that phone call and then being a successful m advisor in the sector, watching so many companies uh, achieve success, build tremendous value through M&A, and become the big players. I always use the story when I was a younger investment banker, first calling on CACI, there were $100 million or so in revenue, right? You know, today they are much bigger than that, six, seven, what, $6 billion or so in revenue. And they got there probably certainly through through successful organic growth, but probably completed 80 acquisitions in their history. So we had this vision that M&A works in the industry, right? They tell you in business school about half M&A transactions fail. I don't think if you look at value from a value creation perspective or market positioning perspective, that's the case in the defense and government technology market. All the leaders have been very active M&A participants. So we, we won, wanted to kind of figure out how we could solve the question, the, the, you know, be more responsive to that most frequent phone call, the smaller company that wanted to participate in M&A, either as a buyer or a seller. And two, we wanted to bring M&A down to those smaller companies and allow them to participate in that success. And that was really the, the genesis for uh, Bluestone, which was starting with smaller businesses, helping them accelerate their growth, and making M&A a big part of that. And that hasn't changed since, you know, even though we're now on our third fund, we just are trying to do more of it with, uh, you know, the greater capital access we now have as a result of the larger fund. Um, and, and that's really the, the thesis behind Bluestone, and, and we expect that to continue to be what guides us uh, as we grow in the coming years. So since this podcast is called Beyond Strategy, we have to ask, what are the central tenets to Bluestone's investment strategy, and how has the strategy changed as you're now investing out of your third fund? Yeah, so, you know, from from my perspective, I don't know that our strategy has changed over the course of, of our three funds. As we've expanded the resources, as we've grown our funds, where John was going earlier, that idea of bringing capital and bringing M&A and executing on M&A at the lower middle market. That was as much of a guidepost for us in fund one as for fund three. The nice thing is, is that now we've got the resources to really leverage and to execute on that strategy in a much more material way. So fundamental with every conversation that we have with founders and entrepreneurs that we're talking about through the investment processes, have you considered leveraging M&A in your strategy? We now have the resources to do that, and and certainly from our standpoint, one of the things that Bluestone really brings to the table for our portfolio companies is essentially outsourced corporate development. So when John was talking about CACI and some of these other industry leaders, they have very robust corporate development teams that are are able to go out and pursue this M&A strategy. It's, it's essentially the same as having a full-time business development team. You've got to be able to, to execute with those types of resources, so Bluestone is able to bring those resources to bear for the benefit of our portfolio companies. And as a result of that, you know, the, the vast majority of our uh, add-on acquisitions that we're doing or, or proprietary transactions where there are relationships that Bluestone principles are outbuilding and, 
and working. And, and, you know, John mentioned it earlier, some of these relationships go back a decade, you know, and that we're continuing to work and talk to these businesses. And so now as we enter fund three, we really see, and having raised a $200 million fund, much, much larger fund than our prior fund, um, we've really got the, the gas in the tank necessary to execute on that strategy. I want to build off of that for just a moment. Uh, we're sitting in the Bluestone offices today, but for not much longer, because you're going to be moving into new office space because of the growth you've experienced here over your three funds. You've built a very diverse team filled with operators, folks that come out of the transaction world, you know, others that have had previous investing experience, even some that have consulting experience. How did you think about building your internal organization and how did it position you for success in the types of firms you're looking to invest in? It's diverse in terms of some of those skill sets you talked about, but not in terms of industry focus. Everybody on the team, the bulk of their career, if not all of their career, has been in the defense and government technology marketplace. So that was critical, right? And uh, second was, you know, relationship that existed among the partners. I, I alluded to that early on, what drives me, you know, um, Eric and I have a relationship that goes back 25 years when he was you know, inside a company as an operating executive. Uh, one of our other founders of the business, Bill Strang, was my first investment banking client, you know, where I did more than just be the analyst and associate. So we also had a history of working together. Bill Mutrin, who was probably the most active M&A lawyer in the marketplace, um, you know, came to, you know, joined our team. So we brought, we, we felt we put together all the pieces we needed. You need operational expertise when you're assessing a business, when you're helping that business uh, think through ways to grow or organically, when you're f- helping them work through what their focus ought to be from a strategic standpoint, um, as well as, uh, you know, also not understanding risk, right? Somebody who's been an operator understands there you're always going to face risk but you can essentially overcome everything you know it, with the right resources the right focus so i think we've just put all the pieces together we have transactional expertise we have financial expertise mike ivy who's been a cfo level executive at multiple companies both large and small uh was was a critical element so i think if you look at it financial expertise m a expertise legal expertise, operational expertise, we felt were the pieces you need to be successful. And then put that all together that we'd all been together for a very long time and our relationships date back, you know, 20 to 30 years. That's great. The trust of working with your your team in the group. So having available capital can open a lot of doors for companies. When you engage with the target investment, what are the firms typically looking for to achieve with Bluestone's capital and the involvement that you bring? Companies that we're working with what are they looking to achieve is is really they want to create value right um most of these you know every company we're working with really hasn't engaged in m&a uh you know it as an investment banker right andy a lot of times it's all about someone saying i want to get the highest value for my business we actually think our model affords them the opportunity to get the highest value for the business it just takes two steps maybe the initial step where we we're investing the business at an attractive valuation but a central tenet of what we you know, or of our investing philosophy is having retained ownership amongst the founders of those businesses working with them through m&a to then build their company accelerate the growth of their business and we think that you now we now can prove it with our successful case studies they're actually going to create more value for themselves than they would in a one and done transaction. So we have, we're, we're looking for companies and what they want to get out of this is they want to build their business still. 
Um, they want to create more value for themselves than they would otherwise. And a big, another important aspect of what we're doing is they want to share that wealth with others. So another thing we're typically doing is creating greater ownership paths for others in the companies that we invest in that might not have been owners before our involvement. Uh, and that is, you know, entrepreneurs value that tremendously. Not only are they looking to, you know, create wealth for themselves, but they love it when their team can uh, share in that success. John laid the foundation here, Eric, for this next question uh, just moments ago. What is the pitch for a potential target CEO? There are a lot of capital providers out here. We were talking off air about just the growth of the private equity community uh, and its involvement in transactions, particularly here in 2023. How do you position Bluestone to be successful and differentiated amongst the various capital providers? Yep. And I think there's, I think there's two parts to it. So, you know, as an entrepreneur or founder, you've, you've achieved exceptional success to have taken a chance and to, built your, to, to have built your business to a, to a point where you have multiple options, you know. And so when, when we're sitting down talking with a, a, a CEO or a founder of their business and they are at that decision point, you know, there's an aspect of do you want to take the, the path of going with a private equity partner and thinking about the next couple of years in a partnership with a private equity partner. And then the second derivative of that naturally is, is why is Bluestone the right partner? And so there's, there's a couple of parts to that. When I visit with CEOs, I think about it in terms of quality of life for them. So oftentimes when we're solving a problem and providing a solution, it's not always financial or economic in nature. Certainly that's an important piece of it, but there's usually some other aspect. So I've had the case multiple times where the CEO or entrepreneur is looking to bring some additional resources into their company, into their executive team, possibly because the, the CEO is wearing multiple hats. So we have solved for that solution oftentimes in, in partnership with the, with the founder of the business as part of Bluestone's investment. Are there any examples within the portfolio that you can point to where that sure. dynamic has come into play? Yep. And I'd say a, a great one is with CBON Data. So CBON Data is a, a portfolio company of ours that we invested in see, in 2021. At the time of that investment, the founder of that business, Dave Schmidt Connect, had a couple of different challenges that he was looking to solve for. One, he saw he absolutely grasped the opportunity of a two-step process that, that uh, John was alluding to earlier. His wife, Dorinda, unbelievable person, was ready to no longer be the CFO of the company as well. There's also a desire to bring in some additional executive leadership. And so in that discussion with Dave in our earliest days, and we visited with him for three years before we finally made an investment, we helped solve that problem. We brought a CFO to a table that was a trusted resource, Gray Beck, who had worked as a CFO of one of our prior portfolio companies. We also worked with Dave to bring on board an exceptional uh, CEO, Dyson Richards, who's done an unbelievable job with that, with that company. And we had to, to address, and Dave had multiple options. So he had to trust us that we had the relationships that we could bring to bear to help solve some of these other, these other challenges that had nothing to do with the financial or the, or the economic um, aspect of the, of the transaction. So we just covered a success uh, story, but obviously being owners, investors in a business comes with challenges as well. Can you point to one time or maybe the most challenging time where you've had to manage from above, for lack of a better term, within your portfolio? 
look, business is hard, right? I mean, every business, no matter how successful, how large, faces challenges. And um, you, 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 you can't be in business for a long time without experiencing pretty much every challenge that you can imagine, right? Whether it's uh, the tragic loss of, of a leader at a company or the loss of business or government shutdowns or new regulatory environments, the countless challenges of business face. We face them every day. So it's really hard to say there's one. I think what it boils down to is years of experience, understanding the industry, knowing who to turn to, not thinking you can always do it just yourself. Unfortunately, we're blessed with tremendous access to leadership and talent at Bluestone and in this sector um, is, is every challenge you face can be overcome. And, and so since we've been in the industry for a long time, we get the challenges the businesses face and we're able to, you know, take a patient approach, not overreact, stick to the plan, focus on value creation. You know, I think I, I, people coming to this industry that don't understand it, the, the, the challenges may be different for them. For example, our, our, our political leaders have not made this operating in this business easy it's for not easy. quite some time now. Um, we bought, uh, invested in a company that Eric ran for us, in fact, nine days before the government shutdown. Now, a, a lot of people who don't live in this industry might have said, this is a bad time to make that investment. But we're taking a long-term view. If you spend your time in this market, you know the longest shutdown at that point in time had been something like 21 or 22 days. They don't last forever. It's a blip on the screen. And if you have the right leadership, which we did in this case, the right business, it, it had no impact on the value creation. So we face a lot of challenges like anybody who's been in business for a long time. I think it's just how you navigate those challenges. And you talked about our team and the makeup of our team and, and the expertise and the years of experience there. And then, you know, making sure we have the right leadership at the companies we invest in. And that's, that's really how we deal with the challenges we face. Says a lot from the experience that you all have. Been there, done that. Yes. Bring us something hard. <laughs> <laughs> so as we progress towards the end of our time today, what's one lesson your experience to date has taught you that you think every business leader or capital provider should learn at some point in their career? We deal with a lot of smart people. I'm not sure I'm going to have, you know, life lessons to, to <laughs> transfer to anybody. Um, I think, you know, for us and what we do is, is maybe the lesson I would say is M&A works, right? I alluded to that earlier. And most of the, most, if not all of the companies we invest in have never been involved in the M&A process. They have not been a buyer. They haven't had the resources. They haven't had the capital. Um, so our message we take out to to the companies that we're looking to invest in is that M&A is a great tool for value creation. Yes, there's risk associated with it. That risk is manageable. But what it can do in terms of the transforming a business, particularly the size businesses we start with, is tremendous. So I think that's probably the one message we're proselytizing out there. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure I have any other great wisdom to uh, to spread to leaders in this marketplace. Yeah, and just to build on on John's comment there, the the uh, you know when you're dealing with entrepreneurs who've already who've already risked st something to start their business, they understand risk, and so it's a matter of how. You describe it, and when you can look and you see M&A and the fact that it can really just accelerate the growth and truly can transform the business. So you've got all of the, the great things that come with that. You're bringing in better people to the business. 
you're expanding the technical capabilities, you're bringing in more client relationships. But the most important thing that I think you're accomplishing is you're building a better culture. And the right type of leaders, the right type of founder CEOs truly have been able to embrace this. And, you know, we do this in partnership with the companies that we invest in. So we're, we're there to, to, to help and advise and, and facilitate some of these transactions. But fundamentally, it's the executive teams that we have at these businesses that are really driving the strategy. And when you see these executive teams truly embrace it, and then they, they succeed on the first transaction, it's, it's amazing how quickly they want to go and do the second transaction. And they just see the power of it, the customers see the value of it, and certainly the employees of the company see the value. Because M&A works. Because mm-hmm. M&A yeah. works. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we end all of our interviews with maybe the most imperative question that we ask. What is the most important thing that we should know about each of you? That, this, this is the hardest question on the list for sure. Uh, you That's know, why it goes uh, last. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully, and, you know, for me, the answer is, look, I, I'm, my life's pretty simple, pretty boring, you know, been doing the same thing in the industry, same industry for a long time. I think it goes back to probably, if not the first question you asked, which is, you know, it's really about relationships. And uh, if you look at our team, you know, the, the partners have all been together for a very long time. One of the, as I said, one of the co-founders of, of the firm was my first investment banking client 30 years ago. Um, any success I've had has come as a result of the great relationships I've had both within Blue Zone and in the broader industry. Uh, certainly my success outside of the office at home is driven by positive and good relationships. And so, you know, I don't get it right every single time, but I think if you sure try to put your relationships first, do the right thing, um, have some knowledge and some experience to wrap around that, uh, that good things come from it. So in my case, and I don't know if this is the most important thing, but but uh, building on John's point there about relationships. So, um, you know, from a career standpoint, you know, every not everything happens in kind of a straight line, right? And uh, I remember when John and I first met, and he was representing a client. Uh, we met out at the at uh, John's offices out in the time in in Reston Town Center, and I'm there with my boss at the time, George Wilson. I just moved into. M&A and George was a great mentor. And so we're, we're sitting there at the, at the table. John's got his client. His client does a, a spiel on the company. We're there and is a, in a potential buy side transaction and we're asking questions and kind of there's a pause in the conversation. I'm looking at George, waiting for George to ask something. And I've never met a, a pause that I haven't wanted to fill. And so I just looked across <laughs> the table and I said, well, how much do you want for the company? And George, of course, about laughed. John, because of his great grace, did not laugh and looked, and there was a little bit of this, hey, you know, young buck, you've still got a little bit to learn here, which I didn't appreciate at the time. It just seemed like a natural question to ask. If we were there to buy something, how much do you want for it? And that's when I started to really appreciate the art that all goes into m right? And the art that goes into these relationships and and kind of the, the uh, you know, the strategy around it and everything. But I figure if that's where my career started in M&A and I can now work in private equity, I've had the great good fortune of an awful lot of luck in my career. And so, um, you know, I appreciate the question. Sorry, I was trying to facilitate a pause to see if Eric would, <laughs> would, fill, would it? fill it. Good <laughs> try. I was good about try. to. <laughs> Very good try. Well, John Allen, Eric Wolking, Bluestone Investment Partners, thank you both for joining us today. Congratulations on the continued success of the firm and best of luck as we head here towards the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. 
Well, special thanks to John Allen and Eric Wolking of Bluestone Investment Partners for joining us on this episode of Beyond Strategy, an ACG National Capital Region podcast. If you liked this episode, I hope you'll subscribe. And you can do that, how, you may ask? By going and clicking the subscribe button on wherever you get your podcasts from. I happen to get mine from Spotify, Jen. I do too. Well, what I really enjoyed about this episode not to mention that I got a chance to sit down with uh, one of my former original bosses in John Allen, was to hear about the evolution of Bluestone and how much he values the relationship aspect of working in the national capital region and within the defense and government community. Yeah, and I think it was really interesting how they talk about bringing different skill sets to the table through M&A, you know, using their like outsourced corporate development that they do and really the relationships that they bring. We mentioned in the opening how 2023 has been the year of private equity M&A and certainly Bluestone has made its mark. What's very intriguing about their model and, and several others in the industry is the fact of this outsourced corporate development and finding a way to supercharge innovative businesses and help them reach the next level by bringing like-minded executives, capabilities, augmenting customer reach, and finding a way to take a company from, call it, if we're using the football analogy, midfield to the end zone. Yeah, I like that. Because m and works, right? John kept saying it. m and works. Well, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us today on Beyond Strategy. For Jen Wappis, I am Andy McEnroe. This will conclude the 2023 slate of episodes. We hope you'll join us in 2024. Until then, happy holidays and happy new year. <laughs>